Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 276. This episode is with Academy Fitness Coach at Liverpool and under-19s Northern Ireland Fitness Coach, David Kells. David came on and we discussed his background. We talked about his degree, his science and football degree, uh, the internships that he took and the benefits from that. We also then spoke about what was missing when he got into a role, what was missing from his education, that he then had to upskill on. We talked about his progress through roles at one of the clubs he worked at in West Brom. And then we spoke about his mark, monitor and manage protocol that he utilised at that club as well. We spoke about physical profiling and then also into his current role, getting the 16s ready for scholar or first team at Liverpool. And then finally, we look at the comparison of his club role compared to his national team role as well and talk about some of the differences and different challenges he faces in those roles as well. Just before we get into the episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that came out to our Blackburn Rovers networking event. It was great to see so many coaches from across so many different teams in the Northwest. There were some brilliant questions on the night and three brilliant presentations from Adam Yates, Rob Pullin and Russ Wrigley, all from the club. All those presentations are going to be available on our platform or on our online community very soon. So if you want to get access to those, go and check them out there. And if you're looking to come to one of our events, our next event is on Tuesday the 27th of February from 6 till 9pm. And that's at Colchester United. We've got two, presenta- uh, two pres- presenters even for that event, which are Dave Carolan and also Hayden Clifton, who's the head of medicine and sports science at Colchester United. So go to footballfitfair.com, click the shop tab, and you'll be able to get your tickets for that event there. If you're an early bird like me, you'll know that the first few hours of the day are crucial to line up the rest of your day. And it's something I've been really focusing on is my morning routine and some of the habits that I do day to day, especially since the podcast with Phil Learning recently where he spoke about caffeine and the use of caffeine. So caffeine wasn't something that I massively over um, consumed. I only really have a, a coffee a day, but I would have it. I would have had it first thing in the morning. So I've been trying to delay my caffeine, and I've been using a product called Magic Mind. So Magic Mind takes away all the jitters of caffeine, and it gives you a real focus to get work done. So I, that's what I've used it for. I found that I can really switch on. I, I have some water, electrolytes first thing in the morning. And also Magic Mind, that's my first few things that I consume in the morning. Then I can get down to a bit of work. I find that I'm really, really productive. I can focus really easily. I do things like the anything to do with the podcast in terms of planning questions, even the edits of the podcast as well. And it's really helped me switch on and be productive in those first few hours of the day. So if you're anything like me, go and check it out. The good news is they've set up a very special offer for our listeners. So if you use the link in our show notes, you get one month for free when you subscribe for three months at that link. And if you use the code Football Fitness Federation 20, it gives you an extra 20% off, which gets you to a 75% off that only lasts until the end of Jan though. So make sure you hurry up and go and use it. Go and check it out. The product is called Magic Mind. I highly recommend it. Another big part of my daily routine is using the meals from The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, 
ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance. You can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. This podcast is brought to you by Hydro, the number one BFR brand in pro sport, helping teams and athletes improve performance and recover faster with their blood flow restriction wearables. Built for sport and proven by science, check out hydro.com to find out more. Also, a big thank you to our longest serving sponsors, that is Rezzle, doing some amazing work in the world of VR. Make sure you go and check them out at Rezzle over on socials. And let's get into episode 276 with David Kells. Rezzo is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzo Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzo, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 276. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, David Kells. David, how are we doing? All good, thank you, Ben. Yourself? I'm good, thank you, mate. I'm good. We're currently tackling a storm, and that's not an analogy for anything. There is literally a storm, isn't there? So if you hear any rattling in the background, any bins being blown over, that's what the noise is. <laughs> what, what's going on with you, David? Yeah, not a lot, Ben. Just... Um... Yeah, just like you say, just trying to battle the storm and uh, hopefully we get out and train this afternoon. But we'll, uh, we'll have to see. But we've got a nice indoor, which will probably come into use this afternoon, I reckon. It might have to be. Might have to be looking outside. Well, thank you for coming on, mate. I appreciate it. I know um, with your role, which you'll go into in a second, or the, the roles that you have at the minute, there's quite a lot of subjects we could dive into. But like we always do on the podcast, let's get a little bit of context around you. So, do you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, um, so sort of growing up, sort of football and golf were my main sports, and sort of naturally had a, an interest towards sort of elite performance. Really, um, football was kind of my main sort of interest, and didn't cut the mustard as a player. So it was kind of like, how else can I get in and work in the industry? So naturally followed down the sort of sports science route. Was looking at university courses, seeing that John Moores did a, a science of football one, which sounded perfect to me in terms of knowing I wanted to work in football but was a bit unsure in terms of what discipline. Um so I enrolled onto that and and that was really good. Like we'll probably touch upon it later in terms of how they sort of structured the courses and everything. Um but yeah did that and then stayed at John Moore's to do my uh S and C Masters, which again was really good. Um and then whilst I was at John Moore's doing my undergrad I interned at Berry for a season. Kind of just working within the academy. And, and first team sort of two days a week, which again was really good in terms of just your first initial exposure into sort of a high performance environment. And then 
whilst I was doing my masters, I interned at Everton Women um, for pretty much the full season, which again was was great, more hands-on experience. And then after that, I was lucky enough to get a job at West Brom uh, as an assistant sports scientist. So moved down there in September 2019 and then did an assistant role um, working across nines all the way through to 21s for two years. Then bumped my way up to lead nice to 16s for a year and then did the 18s for a year before moving on to my current role with um, with Liverpool, looking after the, the 16s and um, doing the under-19s with, with Northern Ireland, which I started in the summer. So it's been yeah quite a steady progression, really. It's been sort of yeah good in terms of experience in all aspects from sort of nines all the way through um, up into under-19s. So it's kind of where we're at at the moment. We might bounce around a little bit around your career because I think there's quite a lot of um, places we could go into in, in detail. But just starting with, you mentioned the degree, John Moore's science and football, but then also tying on to that in terms of the internships and the applied experience you got. So just talk us through some of the, the benefits or some of the um, skills that you felt you developed coming out the back of that. Yes, I think the, how these sort of the lecturers at, at John Moore's definitely been on the science and football programme were that either been sort of applied and worked in the applied field and then dipped back into to lecturing or they've got one foot in, in both in terms of they were part-time lecturing, part-time working um in in like football. So it was it was classed in terms of they were they were able to sort of tell you their experiences, you were able to sort of learn off them. Um and I guess from my point of view, like everything was sort of applied to a football setting. So again, you probably know yourself that you know a textbook can sort of teach you everything, but they were all sort of very key in terms of putting the message out in terms of you know, it's about your soft skills and how you communicate with with key stakeholders and building that. So that was pretty much on the forefront of my mind, which I think helped me when I went into my internship at Bury because it wasn't a case of, you know, you're at uni, you're reading all these papers, you've kind of got a good academic knowledge or a good base and it's, well, you can't sort of implement that straight away, even though you, you may think that you can. Um, So that, that was definitely helped. And then I did the... The LJMU internship as well, which was run by Carl Emmers at the time. I think you've had a few people on the podcast before that have gone through the same sort of grueling interview process. Um, but again, that was top and they did like a junior internship and a senior internship. So it was, again, it was good for me at the time. So I was working with a, a cerebral palsy football player. Um, so again, that was kind of out of my comfort zone a little bit in terms of you had certain constraints on certain exercises that you wanted to do or would normally do with um with non terrible body footballers. So again it taught me to be creative really in, in the gym and and sort of again have a good relationship. It was one to one um with the player. So it was having that relationship, building up again your soft skills and and how you cue certain exercises on a on a one to one basis, which was which was really good. And then um yeah, in terms of working with uh with Everton women was was good in terms of my S and C masters. So it was again out of my comfort zone a little bit more in terms of you working with you know females in, instead of males. So it's kind of everything was applied to football, which was what I wanted to work in, but it was sort of different cohorts you were working with each time. So it was straining a little bit of your skill. So you kind of again the, the probably one skill which was constant across it all was you've got to be a good people person. You've got to be able to communicate and work with whoever's in front of you regardless of their 
their background. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's interesting because I don't know what the average is now, what people are actually coming out of university with, if they've got a degree and a master's, and then what the actual experience is looking like on top of that. And you might be able to give a bit of perspective on that on in terms of how much experience, because we talk about it all the time, picking up experience in different players, males, females, like you mentioned, different abilities, I think is really important. But when you then stepped into the next role, where did you feel the gaps were for yourself? Because obviously you've picked up more experience than probably the most, but getting into it, working day to day in that applied setting, there's always a bit of a realisation where I need to improve on this this area or these few areas. So what was it for you? Yeah, so a lot of it was um, predominantly S&C based um, within the internship. So there wasn't much pitch work. Um, so obviously when I went in, in at West Brom, it was kind of, you know, that and then sort of the GPS side of things, which you kind of needed to upskill yourself quickly. Like I was quite comfortable in the gym and programming, um, gym programs, et cetera. But sort of getting out there and and working pitch side, whether it would be with a returning the player back from injury or, you know, even just a squad-based warm-up was on the daily one and different themes of the days, which was was kind of easy to upskill pretty quickly. But I think the structure at West Brom, how they had it at the time, was you had a, a head of sports science who wasn't affiliated with an age group. Their job really was just to oversee the department uh, and work with the staff that they had in terms of upskilling them, which for me coming out of uni was perfect because I had someone pretty much, you know, if I wanted to go and speak to or, or learn off, you know, they were always open to it, which was, again, sometimes you don't necessarily get that if you, you know, jump out from uni and go to a sort of a national league conference side where you're a one-man band, it's difficult then to learn off. Uh, they were there as the head of sports science. You had a 21s, you had an, an 18s, you had a lead, a lead 9 to 16s and then two assistants who would work from 9 to 21. So obviously coming in as the assistant, you know, I had the lead 9 to 16s to work off, the 18s guy to bounce off, the 21s guy to bounce off. So it was very much a, a good support network there to, to develop. Um, which again helped because you were and again because you were working across the whole program. Um, there was loads and loads of contact hours, so it worked well for me in terms of I wasn't necessarily in the gym as much. I was more out on the field, so it kind of complemented what I probably didn't grasp in my internship. So I managed to to get straight away, but it was good because of sort of the support network that I had in terms of the staffing structure at West Brom was was really top. Yeah, definitely, and again. As, as much as we've had um, plenty of people that have been through the programmes at John Moores, it's the same with West Brom, isn't it? There's been a lot of practitioners that have worked at that club and either still work at the club or have gone out the other side and done some some pretty good things. So I wanted to touch on that role or the roles that you had at, at West Brom and in terms of the progression for you on a career, career-wise, what that looked like, but also some of the things that you and other staff members implemented along the way as well. Yeah, so I had two years, obviously jumped into the assistant role. So I had two years there, which as I just touched on was, was great in terms of getting my contact hours in and, and really sort of building your confidence as a coach. Um, because I, I don't know what it was like for everyone else sort of going out of uni, but it was kind of like you step into a to a elite environment and you kind of, you're almost looking for validation, I guess, in terms of whether you sort of belong there and whether you're, you know, whether people are having you. Um, so again, that was that was good in the first two years. I was 
you know, able to build relationships with players, with coaches. So when I progressed into the lead nice 16 year old two years down the line, when there was stuff that I wanted to implement, the communication lines and the relationships had already been built, which was really good. Um, so one of the things that I did in the the nice to 16 role was implement a, a mark monitor managed protocol to help players going through growth and maturation, which was based off the the great work David Johnson and Sean Cummings had done out of Bath Uni, which was really top. Um, so that was kind of basically trying to reduce time loss to, to growth-related injuries. So we would use sort of, you know, your standard Karmas Roche mirror old equations to constantly monitor the growth status of the players and would sort of flag them sort of three stages. So the things we would look for would be sort of leg length increasing 3.6 centimetres, um, a growth rate of 7.2 centimetres per year or players in and around their, their peak height velocity of 88 and 95% of their predicted adult height. And, you know, we would, we would, we'd mark them if they were, if they had one out of the three of those, then there'd be sort of no modifications, but you continually uh, measure their growth. Um, if they had two out of three, you kind of monitor their program a little bit on a, sort of a day on day off basis. So you'd reduce uh, the training load a little bit so they wouldn't do any back-to-back sessions. You do extra sort of pre-hour work around their, their interview if it was a, a severs or an odds goods. Um, and if it was three out of three, sort of ticking all the sort of major red flags or they were symptomatic, then it'd be straight away sort of being modified. You'd check in on them pretty much daily, weekly, trying to figure out, you know, what what is it that sort of aggravates their, their sort of growth-related injury? And then you try and restrict that. But I think probably the, the most important bit of the pro, of that sort of protocol for me was how aligned we were as an MDT. So it would be so individual on, on each player. So if you had an under-14s player and, you know, the one thing that's stopping him from going to 15, 16s would be his finishing. If it's a striker, then it's kind of however you're modifying his program. The one thing that you can't do really is take out any finishing because ultimately that's the one thing that's stopping him from getting to the next level. Mm. Alternatively, you could have a player that's sort of really good technically, but he struggles, you know, scanning, for example, and he's not very good in sort of tight possession. So be like, right, well, if it's a standard passing technical where it's on a pose, we could probably take him out of that. Like he doesn't necessarily need to do it, but if they're going to go into a, you know, a tight possession there and he's going to be a chance to even be sort of a floater in the middle where he's constantly got to be scanning. But we know if he's, you know, he's a floater, he's a middleman, he's not going to, you know, train as much as, or get out as much external volumes as if he would do um, if he was in the middle. So again, it was being very clever in terms of how he modified a programme to suit the players' needs. And it was, yeah, it was literally looking at it, casting, zooming right out on the player and be like, reach discipline, what's stopping this player from getting to the next level? And, you know, from that, making sure that that's whatever it is that he needs to get to is prioritised and is staying in his programme, no matter how that programme looks. Um, And then, yeah, so I, I did that for a year and then, um, sort of implemented that and then just as I sort of implemented it moved up to the 18s um, and then with that it was again I sort of followed the players up the pathway which was was nice to me from a personal point of view in terms of continuing to work with them you had those relationships in there uh, and then one thing that I implemented there was to regular, regularly profile the players from a physical point of view so we would do a, a 1k time trial um, for an endurance marker we do a, a bilateral CMJ for power, 
a sum of eight skinfold for anthropometrics and we get the max velocity from the GPS, which, you know, we were red hot on, on sprinting the players on a, on a Thursday match day minus two because, you know, the research out there, you know, is, is pretty much overwhelming in terms of the reduced risk of hamstring injuries from 90% exposure of your speed in a week uh, and also to get the players quicker. And, you know, it was the, the great thing about those tests is that they were, they're easily repeatable and and especially in season, like they don't take too much time. And the players were able to sort of visually see as well, like a little radar profile. And it was quite clear for them to visually just look at like what's their area for development. You know, it was like them seeing their own little FIFA card, which, you know, players at that age would just buy into it straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we came to do our sort of six to eight week, you know, uh, multidisciplinary team sort of player reviews, um, which obviously the P have in place it was kind of from a sports science point of view it was bang there's your profile like you know this is what you need to improve on and then as a sports science point of view we were able to then have more deeper conversations in house in terms of of their powers down and why is that and do we need to do a bit more analysis is it you know is it just bilaterally that they're poor are they actually good unilaterally and you know are there any imbalances that are coming up from a physio screening point of view that we we maybe need to work on and you know there's a lot of information there which you know the player probably doesn't need to necessarily see straight away because if you give them too much information and you know it can become a little bit ambiguous in terms of what they need to work on so by dialing down that sort of radar profile it was really clear for them um, and it kind of just got them on board with what they needed to work on and then from that um, and the players were really good at this like they really took it on board was we had a 8 to 8 30 physical ILP session in the morning which was a complete sort of like a drop-in clinic so it was like we had programs in place for them to come into the gym they were on the telly they were going through them um, and it was kind of just you know no one's pressuring you to get here but you know it's on for you you know if you want to sort of invest in yourself you know you can get yourselves in and a lot of them to be fair helped out with the transport because they had a little word with the the minibus drivers and it was you know from an admin point of view it was kind of you know getting a bit over 10 minutes earlier and then you know, it was there for them. So they were already in the building. So it was a case of, you know, instead of chilling in the dressing room on your phone for half an hour before you, you come in for your actual gym stuff, it's like you've got an opportunity to to work on it. Um so yeah, that was that was really good. And sort of the the process at West Brom was sort of measure, educate, enhance, which was what we really tried to, from a sports science point of view to develop. So, you know, we do all our battery testing, you know, but we try and educate the players in sort of a, a clearer way. For them to then to understand it to get on board and then for them to to enhance physically. I want to jump back into that in a second, but just before I forget, just going back to um what you're talking about before with the map monitor and manage protocol. And you talked about the MDT, the alignment of the MDT within that process, and you broke it down brilliantly there in terms of some real life scenarios of what players might be facing. Was that all predetermined in terms of the MDT sitting down beforehand and saying, right, this is the this is what we're monitoring. This is potentially some of the outcomes that we're going to get from this, and this is how we're going to amend things. Or was it just a, a catch up along the way? Um, I think it, it started as sort of in house. We just wanted to get more of a grip on on growth and maturation, and then you know naturally it's kind of like, well, if we're going to pull him out, so what's the what's the justification for it from a coach's point of view? Like they're, you know, from from my experience working with coaches, they're, 
the one thing they hate, they're okay, you know, if you pull a player out nine times out of ten, they're okay with it. They only get annoyed when it's kind of five minutes towards the session and they've already planned it and then you're yanking them away. Um, so, you know, if you're, you know, we did a, a good CPD on our whole Mark wanted to manage protocol in terms of a justification why. So, you know, the coaches kind of knew when players potentially could be getting pulled out because obviously we'd send out a growth and maturation report. So we'd already have flagged the players that are probably going to be experiencing some issues and are probably going to need management in the future. So they were on board with it and then it kind of got a little bit more structured in terms of, you know, a week, a Monday, a Monday sort of afternoon meeting in terms of the plan for the week. Here are the players, sort of the red players that are going through growth. What's their week looking like? So it was kind of pretty much the sit down, pretty much at the start of the week, just a 10, 15 minute chat on your, on your players sort of in cells really. So like, you know, I go off and talk to the 15, 16s coach, you know, you'd have the, the other two assistants who go and chat with the 12 to 14. So it was, you know, sort of, yeah, mini meetings outside of a, a, your main meeting. Yeah, I know that makes sense. And then to jump back in with the work with the older age groups, you talked there about the importance of education for the players. So for any coaches listening that are like, right, we know we need to educate the players, but what would be some of the top advice from you in terms of what has worked in terms of educating and getting education across to the players? Just before David gives you the answer to that question in terms of how to go about educating your players, just wanted to divert your attention to our online community because we are going to be uploading three brilliant presentations from our, our recent event at Blackburn Rovers. One from Adam Yates, which was the academy to first team transition. So he was speaking from his perspective, um, going from academy roles through to first team roles, the differences, um, the challenges that he's faced in different roles. Then Russ Wrigley's presentation and insight into developing elite youth footballers. Russ is someone who's been at the club for I think he said over 18 years so an incredible amount of experience working with a number of different players and I think he said some of the players are now retiring um, that had come through the academy system that he's worked with so a brilliant presentation from Russ and then also from Rob Pullin managing the transition through under 21 football so we've got a real nice insight into the full programme at Blackburn they're all available to watch for our online community members. So if you want to get access to it, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign yourself up to a free 30-day trial. After your 30-day 30-day trial, you become a full member of our community. So you get access to all the current content that's on there, including all the presentations and webinars that we've got coming over the next few weeks as well. And you get invited into our members-only WhatsApp group as well. So Go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with David Kells. I think making it clear, so not trying to like show off in terms of, you know, your sort of technical terms because, you know, ultimately they, they don't care about that. All they want to see is something sort of visual, something that's, you know, in a, what they're where they can understand. So like, the radar profile or a FIFA card, like most of the lads play FIFA, you know, they see stats, they see numbers, they they know that the, you know, the small numbers, what they need to work on. And, and then it's that, but then it's also, you know, you get a player on board. So for the ILP sessions, for example, so we had a couple of players jump in and then we got early success off them pretty quick in terms of their jump height increase. But like a lot of this was 
So we do a, a CMJ jump for, for wellbeing, or we did at the time as well. So it was, you know, a wellbeing. They came in the next a couple of Mondays after and they got a high score. And it was like, you know, you could almost fluff it a little bit because it was like, well, you probably probably because you're not fatigued as you were two weeks ago, but they just turn around and go, oh, is that because I've been doing the ILP sessions? And you kind of like, oh, you're daft if, you don't, if you're going to say no, like you've got to try and get the buy. So it's like, oh yeah, it's got something yeah. to do with it. Yeah, keep doing it. Um, so it's probably never missing an opportunity then to sort of have your little corridor conversations with players in terms of, you know, and giving some positive reinforcement in terms of them, you know, when they do improve. And it's probably as well been a little bit sneaky in terms of if you know, obviously you know your squad, you know the big hitters in terms of the ones that are well-respected socially among their peers within the group and it's trying to get them on board. You know, if you get them on board, then, you know, a lot of them will follow or, you know, if you get your the ones which athletically are, are pretty good um, on board with it, then the ones will see, oh, he's really good athletically and they kind of think, well, why is that? And, you know, if he's going to those extra sessions or if he's buying into the programme, then, you know, it is a bit of like a domino effect. You can probably get more people involved. So, yeah, I guess to summarise it, it's probably just keep the information clear to the players. You can have as much in-depth discussion as a sports science and medical team as you like to make sure that your plan's red hot and, you know, it's going to do the business. But keep it, keep your feedback clear to the player and, yeah, don't miss an opportunity in terms of giving those little corridor conversations, the little feedback, the sort of positive reinforcement. Yeah, brilliant. I always refer back to the episode with Damien Hughes around that, the term he uses, cultural architect, because I think that sums it up really nicely that within the group we'll all know people that we're referring to, the ones that have got that influence. And I think if you can influence them, you're probably onto a, a de- you've got a decent chance of getting it out to the rest of the squad, haven't you? And that that's the same yeah. with any squad. So yeah, definitely. No, that makes perfect sense. Moving into your role now, then, and the role I'm talking about, obviously, with Liverpool initially, and then we'll go into the, the national team role as well. But and again, we're, we're talking a couple of days. Well, yesterday was the first team game, wasn't it, where you saw some Academy players playing um, or Academy graduates playing in that game. So your role now getting these players ready for scholarships, getting them ready for the first team? What's the approach been? What's the experience been so far? Yeah, so it's, yeah, like you said, like I think, um, I can't remember the start off the top of my head, but pretty much most seasons, like there's been a sort of 16, 17 year old that's either gone up to train with the first team on a regular basis. So, you know, a sort of 16 fitness coach, my sort of main role is to make sure that the players are, you know, can make the jump from schoolboy programme to a scholarship programme. But, you know, also you're going to have your um, the ones, one or two that are going to probably accelerate through the scholarship programme and be up with the 21s or first team within six months. So it's naturally it's tough because obviously you have a few of your late maturers, which, you know, no fault of their own. They're just a late maturer. So they're going to obviously be behind a little bit and naturally going to struggle with the increase in external load. Um so how we structure our week at the moment on a Monday, um, they train in the afternoon, but they train with the 18s. So the 18s train with us in, on a Monday afternoon, which I think is good from a from an 18s point of view, I guess, because you know if you're if you've got players that play on the Saturday and off on the Sunday, but you know we have a couple of London lads that tend to go home after the game, so you kind of you give them an opportunity to have two nights at home, which again from a whole social and family point of view is. And for their sort of development, you know, they're still very young. You forget how young they are when they move away from home. So 
it's good from that point of view and it probably gives them a little bit more recovery time from the Saturday too. Um, but from a 16s point of view, it's they get a taste of the level and the temper and the intensity of of scholarship football. So it's again, even though it's a, a match day plus two sessions, so it's not you know we're not on the grass for for over an hour really. But it's when we're on it and the possessions are popping. Like you know, sometimes you see a few of the 16s and they're kind of like you know this is the level like so. You know that helps again just for them to mentally click that you know they need that physically the game's going to get quicker for them. And then um, Tuesday we'll have our sort of main extensive day. So they'll do lowers in the gym. They'll do some form of conditioning out on the pitch after the warm up, sort of a bit of speed endurance work. Um, and we'll try and make that session to be as big as we can. Um, Wednesday they they have off. Thursday they're in for their their speed hit. So that's again match day minus two. As I touched on earlier about the research, we'll expose the players to ninety percent of their their max fee on a Thursday uh, and then the 16s are, are off the Friday and they play the Saturday so you know me and the the 18s uh, fitness coach at the moment we're kind of we're looking at the the gaps in external loads from the 16s program to the 18s program and naturally because the 16s only train three days a week plus a game and the 18s are obviously in full time there's always going to be a big gap to bridge um, so again how we're kind of trying to funnel that at the moment is is probably make the, the 16 sessions a little bit more intense, but you know, you've also got to try and keep an eye on the lads that are, are still coming through the back end of their growth and trying to manage them a, a little bit. So it is it's a very fine balance and that's um you've kind of got a blanket program really in terms of trying to make it more intense, but then you're modifying a few few more of the players that, that probably can't cope with it yet. Um so it's again that you look at like even like at 16, it's only 80-minute games. Like they only play, you know, they don't play 90 minutes. So again, that last 10 minutes of games and, you know, we know how many injuries happen within the last sort of 10 minutes of games. So again, that's another a bridge that has got to go. At the moment, in terms of the, the increase, like what we see as well is a load of X cells and D cells um, sort of jump up between 16s and 18s. And, you know, we're really trying to hone in on sort of core strength at the moment to try and, Sort of reduce the risk of of lots of pubic stress injuries in particular that you know can happen in sort of lower back stress injuries. So it's um definitely not cracked it. And you know, um if anyone out there thinks they have cracked it, then it'd be nice for them to drop us a message like, but it's uh, yeah, it's just an ongoing sort of process. And you know, naturally you think of just the program, even just socially, what they've got outside of the it's the first time job basically. So they're in like I don't know about you, but I remember when I was sort of at my first time job, I was within the first two weeks, I thought I was burnt out. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it's, I think naturally it's always going to be a big, big gap to bridge, but yeah, we'll um, we'll just continue to monitor how we're getting on, I think, and, and reflect each sort of season and, and try and think how we can do things better. Within your position as well, so when you're working with some of these young players and obviously you probably have a reasonable idea on which players have got a better chance of getting first team minutes at certain times for the year. I'm sure with coach feedback and all the rest of it, but there's probably also times where I'm guessing it's a bit of a shock to you where all of a sudden they're including within a first team squad and you didn't quite see it coming so soon or um, it was a little bit sooner than what you thought. So how does that impact your approach? You just try and keep things relatively steady where you're like, right, we are still preparing them regardless of whether they're getting called up at for this game or not, 
we're still trying to pre- prepare for that end goal or does that impact it anyway in terms of like this player could be gone any minute like they're, they're on the verge yeah it, it's difficult like we had um, when I was at West Brom we had a couple of the scenarios where you know first year scholars in particular where it was you know they're the, the, like the beauty of the, the 18s programme is that you're pretty much playing every Saturday like your micro cycle is so consistent you know it provides the opportunity for a lower body strength you know every Tuesday if you want it a speed exposure every Thursday and it's it's really good for the first six months and I remember chatting to the the 18s coach at West Brom at the time and it was you know ideally you know if we had our own way it'd be like regardless on how good your first year scholars are unless it's a Jude Bellingham for example and then it's a they stay within that program for the first six months because physically what they get from it puts a really good blanket and a really good foundations in place for them then to kick on. Yeah. And you know, it's from a football point of view, you know, the 18s league is very competitive. You know, it's not it, you know, you could argue it's more competitive than, you know, the, the 21s league because, you know, 21s you could have some first team players dropping down. You've got players which, you know, most players in the 21s are either trying to play for the first team or go out on loan like you don't really want to play 21s football and obviously there's research out there which you know I can't remember how many games I think it might be 50 plus games if you reach 50 plus games within the the 21s then your career of them breaking through dramatically decreases so you know it's kind of a bit of a dead league where people kind of don't really want to play in it Um, so again like there's the opportunity there for you know if you're keeping players in that 18s programme, then they can rip up the 18s league for six months. And then, you know, if they've got a good physical foundation in place, they can almost bypass the 21s and, and kick on to training with the first team. Um, but how, how we worked with it at West Brom, because we had a few push through. Um, and even more recently, there's a load that have sort of made their debuts this year, which is good to see. But we had a quite a, a, a smaller sports science team than what's in place at Liverpool, which made the communication between 18s, 21s, first team quite good. So, you know, it was on a Tuesday, for example, you know, if you've got your players that are going to train with the, uh, the first team, then that's that's brilliant. Like, happy days, you're not going to pull a, a player back from training with the first team because ultimately that's what you're in the job to try and do. Um, but it's kind of like, oh, well, after the session, you know, is the scope to, to do their strength work and, you know, the first team... S&C at West Brom were really good in terms of, you know, they helped facilitate that really. And it was just communication between the 18s, 21s, first team sports scientists in terms of those transition players, we called them. And, you know, we had a, we even put their own little schedule in place. So it was kind of, you know, they won't get and forget about. I think there's what can happen sometimes is those elite players, sometimes if they're between sort of 21s and first team, they get put in a void where, they almost do get forgetting about because sometimes they're only training up with the first team to be sort of a number in a mannequin. And then they're missing out on, you know, at a 21 session, which is a little bit more intense, but also from a technical point of view, like the first team session that they're going into is not going to be catered towards them because, yeah. you know, so they're the, they're just the, the fringe players. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's just really trying to communicate and being really adaptable in terms of, and basically looking at it on a week by week basis and and trying to make sure they're getting in, you know, the strength sessions, the speed exposure at some point throughout that week, no matter how it looks, no matter who takes it, but just being open with it. Yeah, because I realise that is so contextual club to club, but also 
situation to situation as well, isn't it? Because sometimes the situation at the first team could be big injury numbers and players suddenly getting called up out of nowhere. So, no, I appreciate that it's not a linear pathway a lot of the time, isn't it? But it's just interesting to, from your perspective, how you think about it and how you um, adapt, like you just mentioned, with with what's going on. So, no, that was really cool. I w- obviously, I want to touch on the work with the national team now, so Northern Ireland under-19s. So just initially, how did that come about? Um, so it came about in the, in the summer. So um, Gareth McCauley is the, the head coach, um, and he... I think they had someone bumped up up the chain somewhere in terms of an SSC point of view. So there's a, a spot with the under 19. So I think he reached out to to Matt Green, who he used to be his SNC at West Brom, who's now with the Premier League, who then sort of knocked on Tom Page, who was my line manager at the time. Um and sort of he both got sort of recommended, put me forward. And then Gareth McCall used to play with Chris Brunt, who was the loans manager at West Brom at the time, who sort of put in a good word for me as well. So, you know, it was through, I guess recommendations that just kind of got on to sort of fill the fill the gap really and sort of jumped on that. Didn't really know, you know, at the time whether it was going to progress into anything. Um so obviously went there, sort of, you know, did what I did my best really. It was completely new experience for me. Like I think looking back on it, it was so different. So obviously I'm used to sort of a long term athletic development model in terms of you've got players from, you know, under nines all the way through. Um, like I'd been at West Brom for was it four or five years, so I hadn't even worked with any new players before. So again, it was just, and you've only got sort of a week. So it's kind of like trying to learn everyone's name, all little stuff like that. And then you forget that you're there on a camp, so you're there to pretty much prep for the game, win the game, go home. Um, so you, you're only seeing the lads for, you know, like I say, a week. From one point of view, your long-term stuff sort of goes out the window, like you're not... Yeah. You're not there to facilitate that. It's a case of, you know, how can we prep the lads best for it in terms of, you know, each of the individual players are coming from different clubs where they've got different individual prep. So it's kind of facilitating that. And then obviously as soon as the game's done, how are they recovering to either go back to their clubs or if you've got another game, how are you recovering to then go again? How are you topping up the boys that didn't play as much? So it's very, very much sort of intense, short, like quite short-term focused. Um, so yeah, the, the first cup was in, in Italy and then obviously got on well, that went well and then um, sort of been asked to come back now and sort of the hosting the Euros in the summer, which is, you know, there's a bit of buzz around the camp, you know, everyone's sort of looking forward to that um, in July. So, you know, that'll be something we're def- definitely looking forward to. But I think just to touch upon really like the, where there's probably a little bit of a, a gap missing maybe, maybe this is me just thinking of it from a long-term athletic development point of view where I've always kind of had that as a focus but you know if we're working with a player you know if we have a communication with the club that they're from like what's their their focus like do we do we know it because the communication at the moment that sort of we send out pre-camp is just around GPS data so we get sort of what their pre-camp loading is so we can help manage them whilst they're on camp um, just to make sure really they don't get injured and, you know, if they're flagging up anywhere, then we can help facilitate that. Um, but in terms of, like, it's very rarely we get an opportunity because it's the, the games are really heavy when we go on camp. We don't really get much gym time. But, 
you don't necessarily need to have gym time to have a chat with a player about, oh, how are you trying to improve your power sort of thing. Hmm. Um, so I think the the communication between club and country, if that's red hot in terms of a, you know, a player having a, the set of physical ILP, the, the club is telling them, the national team, and then message from different people. So, you know, it just helps educate them in terms of, like, this is my area, really. This is what I really need to focus on next you know, six to eight weeks to, to develop. And, and there's, like, I've even tried to, I mean, again, it's time dependent, but, you know, if we go for a home camp, if we've got, you know, a 14, a two-week home camp, then, you know, and there's not many games, there's quite a bit of training, then sort of that physical profiling, which I, I talked about earlier that we did at West Brom, there's no reason why you couldn't do a dumb and down version of that with the national team. So then, again, you get a little bit of data that you can then feed back to the clubs and just a constant communication in terms of you know what the what the player needs to work on because from a you know I think from a technical and a football point of view I think they have that on lock really like there's you know Gareth will talk with you know a lot of the the managers at the club where the lads are at and constantly communicate with how they're getting on how are they playing um, so I think from a sports science point of view it's an, an S&C point of view it probably could be a little bit better um, but you know, you know yourself. The turnaround within the industry is mad. So you know, we've had a camp. We had a camp in in the summer. We obviously got emails for, you know, people that are at clubs, and then three months later, when you go on your next camp in in November, suddenly the emails are invalid because people have moved on and they've been cancelled. So it's, you know, it it can be a nightmare even trying to get the like contact information, let alone sort of a little bit more of an in depth chat around their like development. I was going to ask about that to just break it down a little bit more. So especially with you in your role as well at Liverpool. So if you've got a camp, say, approaching the start of November, but you're wanting this dialogue from the coaches in terms of the national team players, when would that information start or when would you want it to start to come across for you to start collecting things in terms of the programming, the GPS, everything that you want in place? Would it literally just be like a couple of weeks before? Would it be as you go in on camp? Yeah, so obviously when I was in the 18s at, at West Brom, we had a few um, international players, like a few were away with, one lad away with Norway, we had a few with England, a few with Wales. So it was, you know, you get constant. Um, so I was on the, basically the club side um, and like we used to get sort of emails two weeks prior, which was just saying like, look, they've been selected. We want their, you know, their four weeks lead in. Um can you send it on basically the day that they're traveling? Because ultimately you want you want to try and get the data that's as real as possible. So, you know, if a lot of the boys would play on the Saturday and then travel on the Sunday, so you'd want that game data. Um so it, yeah, it, it is a bit last minute, but again, if you give a bit of warning, so from a club side, it was like sounds I got two weeks warning there, so I can populate the first two weeks. And then it's kind of you just build it into your daily process. So as soon as you do the training data, you just bang, you whack that across from the players that's going away onto the international uh, camp report. So it's kind of you just keep it up to date. Uh, and then as soon as you finish the game, then you send it away. Um, so it was quite like stress free, really, if you if the communication was early. And then on the club side, on the country side, it's a lot more stressful because suddenly you've got then like twenty loads of GPS, and you're trying to get your head around that mainly normally when you're in the airport waiting for your flight out and then it's kind of like sending it across. So, and again, even when that's sent across, it's, it is a little bit, if you're going to train the next day, 
you know, the coach has probably already got an idea in terms of what he wants. So it's, um, but, you know, like Gareth's quite on board with that anyway. Like he's, he mainly looks at sort of, you kind of know the players that are going to play a full whack on the Saturday. You know, if chances are you're travelling the next day, the other day is going to be a recovery anyway. So it's, even if it's just match minutes for the last game, you know, you take that just so you get a little bit of, of information. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's pretty hectic. It's a lot more stressful on the countryside than the club side, that's for sure. Why the players are getting themselves a fancy coffee in the airport, you're deep into the later <laughs> in, on the laptop. <laughs> yeah, ex- expense that as well, boom. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. I think that was a really cool breakdown. Obviously, the club and national team comparisons we spoke about a little bit before, but I think it's really interesting to see how that actually works around that camp time. So that, I, I really appreciate you covering that and then everything you've done so far at Liverpool, but also the time at West Brom as well. So, no, I really appreciate you going into all that in detail. I, I think there might be a few questions around some of the um, things that you've spoke about on this episode. So if people have got questions, they want to chat about anything, where would you direct them? Um, probably LinkedIn would be the main one. So obviously just David Kels. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of mostly where I do uh, most of my, my work stuff, really, my... With us in uh, socials and many more socials. So, yeah, David Cowles on LinkedIn. Perfect, mate. Well, I really appreciate you doing that and um, best of luck for the rest of the season and going into the, the tournament as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Big thank you to David for coming on the podcast. It was great to catch up with him. Go and connect with him over on LinkedIn. I think, in terms of takeaways on this one, he spoke about. The difference with his university course was the lecturers having applied experience, which I think is really important, um, which probably plugged the gap um, compared to some other courses out there for him and for others that go through that same pathway as well. Um, He spoke about following players up the pathway, which was a positive of being at the same club and moving up within that club. And then he also spoke about the players that he's working with using the FIFA cards and stats and things like that. Players like to see that sort of thing now. So in terms of presenting back to players, getting creative and using things that they like to see, there's probably a lot of players that are playing FIFA and obviously players will use the FIFA cards now anyway. But if you can get creative in terms of what you're wanting from players and uh, just spark a bit of motivation using things like that, I think that's a great way of going about it so I hope you enjoyed the episode with David it was great to catch up with him please go and give our sponsors a follow they are Magic Mind Rezzle The Good Prep and Hytro all doing some brilliant works go and check them out on social media big thank you again for listening and I will speak to you again next week in episode 277